So, here we are in the next segment from Create What You Learned Today from Jonathan Winbush, Chris Schmidt, and EJ Hassensfrott showcasing a number of their workflows and how they're using Cinema 4D and other Maxon tools in their creative process. Thank you to our partners for making this possible. There's a number of different companies that are helping us make this real from Dell Technologies, NVIDIA, Render, folks at uh, the Render Network, if you guys don't know, Render Network, the most powerful rendering network on the planet. Tool Farm, good friends at Tool Farm for all of your other creative technical needs. So want to thank them. They've all contributed to make this a reality. The next part of our program, we're going to have an amazing panel and podcast here with artists local and not so local. A lot of people came in for this, and you guys have some amazing local talent here in and around the Dallas area. So I want to welcome Matt Milstead and Dave Koss from MoGraph. What's up and welcome to another MoGraph MoCast. I'm Dave. And I'm Matt. And And this this is is Dat. If you haven't heard of our podcast before, it's a little motion graphics podcast on the internet, and uh, we've been doing it for, what, almost 10 years now? Something Too like long. Too long. Almost 400 episodes. We'll hit 400, 400 this year. Every week. This year will be 400. Well, I think right? we'll probably hit 400 this year. Yeah. Yeah. So check us out there. Uh, send us an email. And uh, we'll get you hooked up on our Slack, and you can chat with other artists. <laughs> they were supposed to walk out with us. <laughs> and uh, speaking of which... <laughs> We've got a great panel yeah, here today. Absolutely. Look how many people are on this panel. Absolutely. I'm, I'm extremely excited to have, you know, I, I didn't think that there was, I, I've always kind of thought that Dallas wasn't really, you know, a huge hub for artists and stuff like that. But once you get a panel like this, just full of just amazing artists, you realized how much talent is in this city. And I'm really excited and really happy to say that I know all these people. So... And I would just like to say that these people are, we have met and, and just gotten to know all these people and they are basically family to us. And that would not have happened without the community that Maxon has built. So I want to do a big shout out and a big round of applause for the community that Maxon has built around this software. So, yes. (laughs) So with that said... We're going to start out, um, rather than us having to remember everybody's bio, we're going to have everybody (laughs) say their name and uh, introduce themselves. You can feel free to grab whatever mic is closest to you for that. We're going to share a little bit. And uh, we'll start on this side with you, Travis. Hello, I'm uh, Travis Ragsdale. I'm a 3D artist and designer. Hi, I'm Alex Parker. I'm also a 3D artist and designer. Um, I run my freelance brand Ladybird Animation at nighttime, and then during the day I animate for Disney Parks. Jonathan Wimbush, I'm the one that just broke everything. Uh, Hi, my name is Sasha Vinagradova. I'm a digital artist and art director. used to work at companies like The Meal and Apple um, and have some Emmy-nominated works. <laughs> Hello, my name is Ryan Talbot. I'm a 3D artist. Um, I've done a lot of freelance work in the past, uh, working on commercials to concert visuals, and now I sell my own artwork online, and uh, that's me. 
Hello again, my voice. Um, Matthias Omatola, a.k.a. Major VFX, uh, Motion Graphics Generalist, and uh, Manager of Events and Community Outreach for Maxon. My name is Gustav Felstrom, and I'm a <clears throat> freelance motion designer, and I run uh, Botched Creative. Hi, my name is Mark Fancher, and I am a 3D artist. I work at Already Been Chewed. I'm one of the two Already Been Chewed people up here, but not the most important one, which is... <laughs> uh, my name is Barton Damer. I'm the owner and founding artist of a studio called AreadyBeenChewed.tv. I'm Chris Schmidt from Rocket Lasso, and I did this second presentation. <laughs> I'm EJ Hassenfratz, uh creative director at School of Motion, did a presentation, started a fire, and plug enthusiast. Plug <laughs> enthusiast. Awesome. So big round of applause for all of our panelists. We appreciate them coming out and speaking today. Um, there is so much talent at this table. Like, honestly, if the rafters fell down and we all died, you'd kill half of the great talent in the motion design industry, you know. <laughs> so <laughs> there's a thunderstorm coming. Yeah, there's a thunderstorm so, coming. So if we yeah. lose power, that's why. <laughs> all right. Well, we have a lot of questions. Lots of questions. Lots of questions for you. I got to bring out my notes for this. So um, there are. A bunch of different topics. We're going to save AI to the end because I know everybody wants to talk about that. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we, we'll hold out on that. There's a lot of students here today. So we're going to talk about things relating to being a student and getting into motion graphics. Um, first of all, how many of you are students here? Ooh, that's a lot. Nice. That's a lot. So we'll keep that in mind as we answer some of these questions and, and bring up some of these topics because I know y'all may be pretty new to the industry. Um, hopefully we're not getting too nerdy and technical about things that maybe you haven't learned okay. yet. I don't know. We'll see. It's allowed. You learn by osmosis, you know, it's all good. Um, so let's, let's start first of all, let's talk about being a student and let's talk about getting out of college because when you get out of college, you have to kind of make a decision what you want to do. A lot of people are going to go somewhere like a studio. They're going to try and find a job. Some of them may say, hey, I'm just going to go ahead and go straight freelance. And I don't know if that's necessarily the best idea or not, or whether or not you should cut your teeth somewhere first. So I'm going to open it up to all of y'all because I know there's plenty of opinions here. <laughs> not everyone all at once, please. I'll start. Go for it. Uh, so uh, personally, I uh, worked uh, at, right out of college. I uh, worked uh, at a basically a digital agency and was in the ag digital agency life for about 15 years before I decided to go freelance. And uh, for me, that was probably the best decision because by the time I went freelance, I already knew how to run projects myself, how to you know do budgets and all that, and uh, just know how to work with clients. And I think I would have, would have had a really tough time doing that right out of school without really knowing how any of that stuff works. So for me, that was, that was the right decision. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll chime in here and I'll talk, I guess, from a lot of experience that I've uh, had in talking with the amount of artists that I have. And that's not just looking for experience, but kind of taking the role as many of us creatives have throughout history is finding a really good mentor and sponsor as soon as possible. Because you could just cut your teeth in the world of freelance, 
But if you find yourself, instead of just trying to work at the best company, try and work for the best boss. Because if you work with somebody... That would be Barton Tamer. Yeah, so you, you, have, you, have an, you have an amazing boss over here. So if, if you get the chance to work with somebody who's amazing within the industry, you're going to be able to learn. You're going to be able to know what it's like to work within a system, ask all those questions, and learn from their experience, and save yourself the heartache, pain, and suffering that can occur when you don't know what you're doing in anything. So the, that... Leveling up under somebody who's a great to work with will build the right skill set for you to then be able to go freelance a lot easier and a lot more confidently than struggling. So finding a good boss. You know, on that note, as far as the good boss goes, and I joke about Barton being the best boss, but honestly, if anyone has seen his Instagram lately where he talks about what it's like to run a business and stuff, I would love Barton for you to be, to elaborate a bit on that and kind of reiterate what you said on that during that interview that you did. Sure. Um, Well, directly related to the question, I think, It could go both ways. So you're going to learn a lot by being in a studio. You're going to experience things uh, in a studio environment that you're just not going to learn on your own. I think there's going to be a rapid pace of learning. You're going to learn, even if it's a bad environment, you're going to learn what you don't want uh, your work environment to be like. So uh, I do believe that there's going to be a lot of, you know, as you mentioned, heartache that you might skip over if you can see uh, and learn from a process that's already established and is, uh, is, you know, functioning and has kind of made those mistakes already myself, I actually never worked for a studio ever. Um, So I went for, from being a freelancer to growing a studio and we're now uh, 20 employees. And so I ended up having to make all those mistakes, you know, along the way uh, because I never have been a part of a studio. Um, But at the same time, that was maybe an advantage because I didn't know how it was supposed to be done um, or I had heard things about, yeah, I had heard things about how other studios did things and I was kind of like, well, why would you do it that way? I'm not doing it that way. Um, And so in that sense, it was kind of an advantage that I never did work for another studio because I was able to just look at it almost through a lens of uh, ignorant bliss and just say, well, I don't necessarily want that position here. I don't need that kind of position here. What do I want? And, And just kind of like define it and just basically, you know, use quote unquote street smarts to make decisions one step at a time. So there's definitely going to be advantages uh, to working in a studio straight out of college. Um, And I I do think that uh, you could skip kind of like a learning curve in that sense. What do you think about, what do you think about the business aspects that students might need to learn? Um, First of all, the one that nobody ever told me about was taxes. Uh, and how to really structure my business in a way that's going to work best for me. You know, it's, it's, can't you turn this into a taxes podcast here? (laughs) (laughs) The taxes. So, um, that, uh, um, other business skills as well. Um, do do any of y'all think there's something in particular that if you're going to start a studio, go freelance, um, are there any good resources out there? Because, you know, I, I don't know. It depends on school to school. Some schools have great um, business courses and some of them actually that relate to what you're doing. Some of them don't. Uh, do you have um, a go to 
Does anybody have a go-to when you are looking to set up your business or make changes in your business? I borrow this. Um, I would wholeheartedly recommend Hoodspa's Freelance and Business and Stuff book. It's written, it doesn't give you financial advice in terms of like how to price a project and like how much a logo design should cost. Like it doesn't cover that, but it covers like the broad strokes of how you need to think about those things and what the differences are between like an S-Corp and an LLC and all of those things. But it's written as if it's like your best gal pal from college giving you this information. So it's super digestible. And there's illustrations that you can cut out and hang up on your wall. So what was that called again? It's a book by Hoodspah, which is the Hoodspah twins. They run their own studio. Incredible stuff. And it's called Freelance and Business and Stuff. So they abbreviate it like FABAS is how they talk about it. But super, super good. Sorry. Uh, the Freelance Manifesto by Joey Kornman. Uh, that's the first book that I read uh, when I went freelance. And I think, it, if anything, it, it just served as like a really good like motivation tool, like reading those stories and being like, yeah, I can do that too. Um, and I think like the one nugget that kind of like stuck out to me was the, it was the rainbows to pain chart. I don't know if anybody remembers that. Um, so it's like the rainbow side is like the stuff you want to do, like the stuff you're passionate about. Um, but sometimes in the industry, it's not always like the best paying gigs. Um, and then the pain side can be the gigs that maybe pay really well, but they're not exactly what you want to be doing. Um, and the idea is basically you want to balance those two things so that you, sometimes you have to go to the pain side and do the stuff you don't want to do because it pays the bills. Um, and that basically affords you the time to go back to the rainbow side and do the stuff you're passionate about. So, yeah, I, and I want to I'd love to jump off on that as well, because the freelance manifesto for those who are already in this in the industry and doing freelance work and stuff. It also for me, when I read it, I had already been in the industry for probably 10, 15 years. God, I'm old. Um, but like it reiterated a lot of things that it's like, oh, I am doing that. Correct. I didn't just wing it. You know, or, or, oh, I should be doing it this way in order to, you know, be a bit more successful in the way I'm running my business. Yeah. You know, one thing I wanted to add as far as books, um, you know, my background's in economics and we- You gonna push your book? Oh, I could. <laughs> yeah. If, if you want me to, five most important things you don't learn in school. It's, it's a great overall book. Christo wrote the Ford, if you like him at all, a designer. <laughs> Um, but aside from that, no, not my book, because my, my book is more general. This one's very specific, especially if you're looking at freelance, and that is Ink and Grow Rich. If you've ever heard the term Think and Grow Rich, it's like the number one best-selling book of all time. But there's a great book called Ink and Grow Rich. And what that does, it goes through all the benefits of cor um, becoming a corporation and all the different ways that you can do your taxes and move money that you can't do if you're not incorporated that will save you between 30, 40% in some cases. So if you're a freelancer making $100,000 not incorporated, you could be losing out tens of thousands of dollars to taxes, which is going to slow your overall growth, you know, and um, that's one, one of those things that we just miss because they don't, they don't teach in school. One of those things, the important things they don't teach in school. So Ink and Grow Rich is, is a great book for this any is the tax growth. episode, isn't it? <laughs> Sasha, you were going to say you something. Went there. <laughs> Oh, I, I just wanted to mention that um, I think it could be very intimidating thinking about it as a business and all the taxes and all of that. I think it's okay to start small just as individual and uh, like all that knowledge, it, 
you will need it later, but it shouldn't be intimidating. And as a designer, the most important part is your brand, is your portfolio. So like treat it, treat yourself as a brand, uh, like portfolio, portfolio, portfolio. <laughs> Hey, this is Dave. I just wanted to stop for a moment and thank our sponsor, Otoy, the creators of Render Network and, of course, Octane. But I don't have to tell you that. You know who they are. You see the results of their render engine all over the interwebs. And we're very grateful that they're supporting what we're doing at MoGraph.com, from this podcast to MoGraph TV to events like local meetups and Camp MoGraph and all our community building efforts. We can't wait to show you what's in store, all thanks to their support. Go check them out at Otoy.com. Now back to the madness. So on the tax side of things, I would say in general, you don't want to spend time learning things that you don't want to do for a living. And so the reason you go out as a freelance artist is because you want to be able to do more of the types of gigs that you're likely getting hit up for anyway, whether it's because you've got a portfolio online, people are starting to hit you up uh, for that type of work. And so I don't know if it's intimidating or not, but just get an accountant and it solves absolutely everything. They're very affordable. Um, and so that's one of the things that I did right away. I know nothing about accounting. I know nothing about the taxes. Uh, you know, we deal with an accountant and they do all of that. The flip side of that too is as your company continues to grow, I don't want to have to know what an HR department is. I don't want to deal with an HR department. There are services for that and being able to pay a company like Paychex that does all of our employee uh, taxes to make sure I don't get locked up in, in jail for not paying the right taxes. <laughs> uh, about once a year, I check in with my wife and I ask her, I'm not going to be going to jail, and am, am I? Because you know? <laughs> IRS will send you letters all the time, uh, very scary letters. Uh, they will also call you while you're on vacation. And uh, you those, I'm pretty don't. sure the calls are spam calls that are just trying to yeah. steal your, <laughs> your, your MetaMath yeah. wallet. No, we've had, I mean, we've had to deal with the IRS multiple times. We have paid the taxes properly. Uh, I've had to give the right of attorney for my accountant to speak on my behalf to the IRS. Uh, and so get an accountant. I think you also don't know. I'm sorry, Dave. Oh, no. I, I was just going to say something stupid. Okay. <laughs> which, which is every time I even get just like a receipt for something from the IRS and I see that logo in the mail, I'm like, uh, audit. Okay, no, we're good. <laughs> Sorry. No, I think something that you also just like don't know when you're coming out of like fresh out of school is what numbers are ridiculous and which numbers aren't. Because when I was coming out of school, I genuinely had zero concept of like what a respectable income was only that like I was an artist, so I probably didn't deserve it. And I, at my very first like big girl job, I went in and like they let me negotiate my own salary, which is a dummy move for me because I asked for pennies and thought I was doing great, which like your first job is like that. And that's fine. But I didn't realize like I started that job and we finished our first big project that I helped on. I was feeling really good about it. And our producer came in and she was like, great job, y'all. That was like a 60K project. Really proud of y'all. And I was like, that's my whole salary. That's all the money I make in a year. And we just made it in one project that took less than a month. And so that's kind of like when you get that real world experience, you can like be less afraid of putting big dollar signs on your projects, not just for the sake of like making more money. Like that's great, too. But like you kind of get this like better feel for what you can actually get for your services because you just don't necessarily get that in school. And the numbers are a lot more ridiculous than you would ever dare believe. Just so you know. And, and speaking of your job, 
Um, let's talk a little bit about getting your dream job. Because I feel like you probably got your dream job. It seemed like it. I'm going to hold the mic with both hands for this one. Is it still your dream job? <laughs> it is. Thank you. Yeah. So, Tid, like a little bit of background. Um, so, I work as an animator at Disney Parks, which I adore. And that's been my goal for a very long time. And I think I was very fortunate to have an extremely clear, specific goal from a very young age. I completely understand that that's very much a blessing, but I had very clear sights on what I wanted. And I've probably sent a stupid number of applications to the Walt Disney company that have ended up in a corporate trash can with Mickey ears on it somewhere. Um, But I like, I tried for so long and it just wasn't working. And so by that point I'm full-time freelance and I'm doing kind of my own thing. Um, And I got this LinkedIn message that was like, would you like to work at a big company and I was like, that's spam. That's 1000% spam. So lesson number one that I have for you is to be polite to LinkedIn recruiters at all times <laughs> because that was not spam. And so I was like, hi, like, thank you so much for your message. Like, would love to learn more. And she was like, it's for the Walt Disney Company. And so I was like, okay, politeness pays off. And so um, ba- essentially what happened was I was headhunted for this position. And so my advice to you is not like, oh, just go get headhunted because that's not helpful at all. But what I do have for you is I think... Um, I had followed a lot of videos and tutorials on like, how do you optimize a LinkedIn profile? How do you optimize, like making sure that you come up first in a LinkedIn recruiters search? And so that's what I was doing. I was networking with other individuals who had jobs that I was interested in at the Walt Disney Company, at Parks and Products under the Disney umbrella. And so if a recruiter looked up, like, I want to fill a role at Disney, well, here's this girl. She's connected to all those people at Disney. So there are steps that are within your control to kind of help the way you show up publicly in a social space. Um, And I had done a lot of personal projects that I had hashtagged the crap out of with Disney hashtags. They were all these, like, very, very personal projects to me that were geared toward how could Disney use this? Not fan art. I'm not talking about fan art. (laughs) Which is great. There's value in that. But the projects that I was working on was like, if I were Disney, like the Disney social account, um, what what would I need? What would I want to post? And so that's the kind of work I was trying to come up with. And so um, anyway, that was all over my site. And then came the interview and they were like, hey, we need a 2D Lottie animator. And I was like, what is that? (laughs) What is that? And so I Googled it. I Googled it. And for 48 hours, I was Googling, how do you make Lottie animations? What are those? So that by the time my interview came around, I was a Lottie expert. And so they get to my stuff. And I think the second lesson is to anticipate your interviewer's doubts. Um, If an interviewer is looking at your portfolio, what are the holes they're going to find? And what are the insecurities they're going to see? And I'm really trying to wrap this up. I'm so sorry. And so... It's gold. Okay. (laughs) So... um, I'm on the edge of my seat. Like, (laughs) tell me more. (laughs) Perfect. And so if you look at my work, it's very much 3D. My entire portfolio is very, very 3D heavy. And they were looking for a 2D artist. And I was like, I can see where we might have a breakdown in communication here. Um, And so I set up a little walkthrough showing like, hey, I know this is a 3D project, but let me show you where the similarities are to the 2D work that you're needing. And so I had that all laid out for them. And then because I wanted this job so stinking bad, I made them a custom Lottie animation. It was like, hey, I've designed this just for you because I know you'll have doubts about can this girl do exactly what we need? Because a lesson that I learned the hard way, especially in the advertising field, is that nobody will hire you to do a job you haven't already done. And so 
make sure your interviewer feels like they're taking as little of a chance as possible. And so that was what my goal was. I made this custom Lottie animation for them and didn't just give them the render. I gave them like the entire file and was like, you can have this. You can pick it apart. Look under the hood. I just want to make you feel good about this conversation. Um, And so it was very much a like eliminating all doubt and showing up all the way to say like, I've done my research and I would love to work here. And I think it was all about um, just setting yourself up so that when opportunity knocks, you're like not in your bathrobe. You know what I mean? So, yeah, that's been the process. It's been a lot of fun. We all feel bad about our previous interviews now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I want to hear everybody else's opinion, but we can also maybe expand that a little bit into dream job, dream client, uh, dream whatever, dream specific project, uh, just to have a little broader base here. Yeah, I think the dream client thing, because I'm freelance, so the dream client thing is like, it's kind of funny, like when I first started doing like this kind of work, I had like everybody's dream clients, like the tech companies, you want to work with Apple and Google and whoever your dream client is. And then as I began to work with those clients, some of them were great experiences, some of them were not as great experiences. So the dream client sort of shifted from, you know, the actual client to the type of client you know so it's more about like for me it's all about like a work-life balance be able to like actually live outside of the computer and then you know payment fair payment or great payment that you didn't expect which happens sometimes and then um the type of work like if you're enjoying what you're doing there's sort of like it's like a what's a triple venn diagram you know it's like work-life balance payment and then the actual work itself so if you can like I've done a lot of work that I'm client work that I'm the most proud of is for brands that maybe nobody's heard of, but it was well paying and it ended up with a great portfolio piece for me. So I think maybe reframing, like you can go after, you know, Apple or Google or whoever it is that you want to work with, but frame it in your head of like, this is the goal for, you know, being a happy animator, I guess, you know? Yeah. No. Um, I guess that, that kind of goes so back a little bit to like the pain and rainbows thing. Cause like, I don't know. I guess in the beginning, I thought like, oh, being able to name drop, like I worked for Nickelodeon or I worked for this big artist, blah, blah, blah. Like that's the cool part. But uh, like Travis is saying, just because they're like the name is really cool doesn't mean that they're going to treat you really well. It doesn't mean that the work is actually going to be that fun. Um, so like you said, you know, work-life balance, um, getting paid and yeah, having fun while you're doing it is more important sometimes than uh, the what you get to put on your resume at the end of the day. Yeah, an interesting point on, you know, working with different clients and like especially different tech clients, you have to realize some of these big tech clients, they've also got different departments. So you may love working for one department, but absolutely despise working for another, you know, and you'll just never know until you right get that, get I've to across that, that a lot. Yeah. yeah. Might have a good, a good client or maybe you work for an, an ad agency or do contract work for an ad agency and they're great. But their their client, yeah, might be an issue, or, you know, is or or maybe you know, there's uh, one of their clients has multiple departments. You never know who you're going to work with. But. Well, I wanted to add on because Alex, I love your story uh, as far as what you went through in that interview process, and I think there's there's a there's a lot to learn in that, especially at a uh, early stage within your career. One of the things that I always try to encourage everyone who's starting off on a path is getting two people that are, I would say, essential in business, 
Um, some of them might already be up on stage and you might already look at them. And that's one is a mentor, someone who would be able to teach you the tools and the skills within the industry. And you might already be, find people online that are mentoring. You, you can have that contact and you want to build a personal relationship with that person. So they're going to be able to help you level up your skill set within the industry. And the second person that you're really going to want in business is a sponsor. And what a sponsor is, is someone who can speak well on your behalf to get you in a room to get you that interview. So sometimes it might be the LinkedIn recruiter. Sometimes it might be other artists or people that you've worked with. So really, this is what the opportunity of that and getting together in these live events is. It builds these networks. Like I've known most of these people for many, many years, I guess, dating back well into the double digits, you know, over a decade. And the beautiful thing is we could call each, any of us could call each other. We could pick up the phone and we could be a sponsor or mentor to each other. So just make sure you, you have those people in your uh, network or you're looking at building them. So you're not just doing it all on your own because as much as skills you have, really it's so much networking. It's so much community based around this industry. 100%. I'll totally agree with that. And I'll expand on it a bit. Um, I felt like I was very stale in my career and that I wasn't really going anywhere. I'd worked at the same company for a really long time. And it wasn't in until I started going to like NAB and SIGGRAPH and these big meetups where there were lots and lots of other motion designers where you connect with these people and you're able to show off your work and, you know, show them things that you've done and different projects that you've worked on. And once you start making those connections, it's really easy to say, hey, I'm looking for a job. Hey, I'm looking for a job. Hey, I'm looking for a job. Hey, you know anyone? You know anyone? And the more friendships that you make and the, 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 the tighter your community becomes, it's so much easier to level up not only by being able to find new opportunities, but also learn from those friends as well. <clears throat> yeah, I just wanted to chime in on that. The You brought it up before, but the networking thing is super important. Um, I got my job from networking. Coming to events like this is 100% the, like a very serious component about how you're going to find your next job, your next gig, or even your next client. You might be working with another freelancer who hits you up to help them out with work like that. But, you know, I do consider the the place that I'm at, where I'm working at, already been chewed. It is a dream job for me, and it's a dream job for a lot of people by many of the highest standards that you would have for what a dream job working in motion graphics would look like. And um, I'm not just saying that because my boss is sitting next to me. Actions, I think, speak louder than words. I've been here for five years, and as a person with intense ADHD, I don't stay or stay enthusiastic about jobs for more than about a year prior to working here. So um, I'm not just saying that. I mean it. Um, it's a good place to be at, but it's also right now going like this. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean seriously, it is. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, networking is, we went to half res in Chicago. I met Barton there and I don't think that he would have ever known who I was if we hadn't just like, you know, I met up with you guys. We got dinner at got um, pizza. Yeah. 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 This was yeah. before Mark had the Houdini in his name. This was <laughs> yeah. when yeah. it was but just Mark, not Houdini. Mark. Yeah. It was, it was a cool time and I almost didn't go. I had to buy a ticket on the second hand from one of a friend of a friend and I just decided to go down there and it changed uh, the trajectory of where my career headed from that point forward. Yeah, I wanted to add to the networking. Well, Hafra, as, as he's mentioning, that's an event I started in Chicago. And we've actually got a huge community in Chicago. But it's something that 
this is getting on 20 years ago. Like it didn't exist and I had to build it from nothing. Whereas like posting on online forums, which don't exist anymore and six people showing up and showing up again a month later and a month later. But as you build at anything, and in this case, getting more people showing up and eventually studios and the groups grew to like 20 people, 30 people, 50 to the point where now monthly we will have a hundred people go to a random meetup. And then we've got the half res event, which is a big celebration at the end of the year, which now we can get up to like 400 people. And then we've got things like Camp MoGraph. They were inspired by half res and start Camp MoGraph, which is an absolutely amazing event. And so often thank I hear you. Thank, you. Of, <laughs> oh, thank you guys. But so often I hear stories of, like that of just going and hanging out and networking. The fact that all of you are here is such a good start for your career, whether you're just graduating uh, or you graduated a year ago, whatever the case is. Going out, meeting people, hanging out. Even if you go out with, here's a, here's a little hint. If you go out to a group with some friends you've already got, make sure that you're still talking to some other new people. Oftentimes I'll see people show up at a group with their three or four friends and they spend the whole night with those three or four friends. That's not overly networking. But every time you shake a hand, every time you chat with a person, every, and it's not even, it is not about going up to somebody and being like, here's my portfolio on my phone, like stand around and look at my phone as we kind of awkwardly stand there together. It's just about like chatting with a person and being cool and being like, oh, I love the kind of work you do. And like, hey, I'd love to send you an email sometime. And just networking wise where somebody's like, oh, I'm leaving a job. Like I'm looking for, for somebody like do you want to step in and talk immediately to my boss? Like that job never gets posted online. It's like, hey, let's reach out to the, the local network. So do that anywhere that you can as often as you can, and it will always pay off. I feel like uh, such a party pooper <laughs> because I have uh, just, again, <laughs> it's so important that you have portfolio <laughs> before that. Like what yeah, Alex, Alex was saying, um, to get your dream job, you want to do the job before you get the job. You want to aim and, and you want to look at like, what do they do? And to make a mock project, something, you know, imaginary, something like not real, but it looks the same, not exactly the same, but it's the same sort of feel, the same vibe. Um, and um, for example, my experience was, um, I used to do web design, completely not related, and I um, saw first season Game of Thrones, and um, I made a bunch of wallpapers, like a fan art, just for fun. And, you know, company who was doing key art for next season of Game of Thrones reached out, and that's how I got my first job, first job in 3D, and then um, my second job at the mill was just sending portfolio with very, with very very similar uh, jobs which they have so networking is very important but portfolio <laughs> I, I will 100% agree with that because you I, I don't think if you don't have a good reel you know uh, em, employers are going to know immediately and we know what to look for don't just go online and look up one of EJ's tutorials and copy it exactly and put it in your demo reel because all of us who run studios we know because we were there as well <laughs> so yeah. but yes your demo reel is is basically one of the most important things that you can do and your body of work and the work that you put out there is 100% going to be what people are seeing and I mean, you're going to get judged by it, you know? Yeah. I would say on top of networking, 
It's not a bad idea to do cold calling as well. Like a lot of people don't know. That's how I actually got my start, like probably dating myself. But back when I graduated from school, I went to the Art Institute. And the first thing I did was I burned like a whole stack of DVDRs and put my portfolio on there and actually looked up like I'm from Pittsburgh, right in the Midwest of Pennsylvania. But I looked up every single studio out in Hollywood and I mailed my physical portfolio to all the studios. And just by chance, um, Adam Sandler's assistant saw my package and they just opened it up by chance. And um, next thing I know, I get a phone call and she's like, yeah, Adam would like to meet you. Like if you're ever in town, just, you know, give us a call. So I was like, shit, I'll fly out tonight. And they didn't believe me. So like I spent all the money that I had, bought a red eye ticket, ended up in L.A. the next day. I'm on a Happy Madison lot in like this suit that I had, the only suit that I had. And they came onto the lot and they're like, you're Jonathan Wimbush. Like I introduced myself. I'm like, yeah, you guys said hit you up if I'm in town and I'm in town. So <laughs> they gave me, I got an interview. Um, like you were saying, you have to come prepared though. Like I had my portfolio all set, everything printed out. I came with the intentions that I'm not leaving without an internship at least. And at the end of the interview, they gave me an internship and yeah, I never went back. So I went from being in my mom's basement in Pittsburgh to doing shots with Adam Sandler out there in Hollywood, like, just like that. And, <laughs> yeah, and I don't even drink, too. So that's like the, <laughs> that's the craziest thing. But it's like I took a chance on myself just cold calling and put myself out there, and it worked out in the end. So I always say networking isn't the only thing. Like, just, you know, go for it. Give it a shot and bet on yourself. And you never know what might happen on the other end. So how, how would you go about in, in this modern-day age instead of <laughs> CDRs? DVDRs. <laughs> what would you recommend? Yeah, let's hear it. So, uh, related to what Winbush said, uh, snail mail is how you would do it in this day and age. Snail mail? Yeah, so for instance, um, we put out job uh, opportunities in November last year, and we had over 200 applicants. And so I was going through all these applications. I open up the email. I don't read it. I click on the link. That's the first thing I look for is the link. I don't look There's at the a studio owner. These are the people I that you're trying to so just know what they're doing. Anything. Email, link. Click on the link. I watch the first 10 seconds. If I'm still interested, I don't even turn on the music. If I'm still interested, I keep watching it. If I get to the end of the reel, I go back and I read the email. And then I'm like, okay, who is this person? Now let me read through it and see. Um, do they even know what this studio is? Like, are they, have they followed us? You know, are they actually like engaged and interested in the studio or is this just kind of like shooting a shot to some studio they've never even heard of, you know? Um, and so we got on, interviewed somebody, did a video chat with them, everything, very interested in potentially hiring them, but didn't necessarily, you know, want to pull the trigger right then and there. Completely forgot about this person every intent to hire them at some point you know they were good enough enjoyed their personality on the video chat but just kind of fell off got in the mail from them snail mail a letter and the letter was thanking us for the video chat and uh you know just would love to have the opportunity to work with you full-time someday and when i got that snail mail i was like i completely forgot about this person and i'm really impressed that they mailed them and so I picked up the interview process with them again. But you're you're looking at these reels, speaking of which, and 
you have a certain uh, level of skill that you're looking for, obviously. And um, people are sending you stuff. And sometimes I wonder, do they know their own skill level? I have a hard time looking at my own things uh, and, you know, that I make and say, is this good? I don't know, because I'm looking at my own work. You get that imposter right? syndrome. Right. Not think you're good. Well, in, in my case, it's not good. But um, people are going to send you stuff. I didn't want so to say anything. How can somebody be aware of their own skill level so they know, like, I should apply for this job. I should ask for this amount of money. How do you keep yourself in check like that? Yeah, I was going to say that, um, well, coming from, like, a student side of it, like, I know for me personally, like, I was hired. I mean, my first demo reel sucked, right? Like, it was absolute trash, but they hired me because of my enthusiasm to want to learn while on a job because they asked me, they're like, oh, you know, if you came in as an intern, would you mind, like, getting coffee and donuts and this and that? And I'm like, as long as I'm able to sit in the artist's bullpen, then I'll do whatever jobs you guys have. Like, I just want to learn how to become a better artist and, you know, just uh, evolve my skill set. And they were impressed by that, that I never had to get any coffee or anything. I literally sat in the artist's bullpen and they helped groom me into the artist that I've become. So a lot of time, it's just that willingness to like say like, be, you know, truthful with yourself. Like I'm not the greatest artist, but I want to be in how can I, you know, be a benefit to your company so that I can, you know, grow with you guys and just become that artist that you guys want to work with in the future. If I can, uh, I guess, dovetail off that, what, like I said earlier, the mentor and the sponsor, they, those are two people that you can have in your network to help you along the way because it's hard to teach taste if you don't already already have a certain taste level and you're just, it's hard to teach that. But if you have a mentor and a sponsor, or a mentor in that case, will go through and be able to take the time to go go over it with you to see more details of what you're doing. Because one of the big things is when you're asking someone that you don't have a relationship with and you haven't built that trust, is you're just creating more work for them. And if you don't have that like fun back and forth, you're literally asking someone to do a job. Critics get paid money. <laughs> like critics actually get paid money to, you know, give feedback and things like that. So you're creating more work where if you already establish a good rapport with someone in a back and forth and they're acting as a mentor and they're getting something out of mentoring you and that's helping them be able to teach and being able to push themselves forward and you're engaged in a way. And I think what you said, uh, Jonathan, was really great. And I would emphasize these two characteristics and that's being hungry and humble especially from the start, is showing that you're interested, that you're willing to go that extra mile, that this is something that you have desire and you want to put energy into. But at the same time, you're not coming off like you're the greatest. You're willing to learn. You're willing to adapt. You're willing to work within an environment to support other artists and to support other dreams using your skills. It's really hard nowadays because we see a lot of people, especially online, the influencer world, seeing how great everybody is and like everybody's trying to be iconic. But when you're working with other people, being humble when it comes to uh, especially starting off, it, it gives you a lot of space. And a lot of times people want to be able to know that they're teaching or they're educating or they're uplifting someone. And just that alone can get you a mentor by being in that receptive state instead of thinking you already know too much. Like, all right, I already graduated. I know this. I've watched these tutorials. 
but being hungry and humble, I would say, are, are two big things to help propel you. Yeah, and I think, uh, like, you keep saying, like, mentor and sponsor. Those are, like, I think that and having, like, surrounding yourself with other creatives. Like, personally, like, I have never worked, like, in a studio setting. So, for, like, somebody at ABC, like, maybe it's the people that work at the studio. You can be like, hey, man, come here, look at this. You know, what do you think is missing or what's, you know, what do you see when you look at this? For me, it's just, like other creatives and designers that I work with, I have a trust that they'll give me honest feedback and I like, they know they're not going to hurt my feelings if they're like, well, I think, you know, this part doesn't look right or whatever. So it's having like peers as well that you can sort of get honest feedback and, and input from, you know, that's, you know, whether that's at a studio or as a freelancer, it's important. Like I'm just in a discord server and, you know, we can just like talk about it there, I guess, but you know, you have to have those foundational skills, too. You have to know that you have that covered. I think we talk a lot on the show about how there are two main places uh, where people come from when they get into motion graphics. And they either come from like a video world where they're learning about cameras and things like that. And then they kind of come in that way or they come from design world. And it always seems like the people from like the, uh, you know, the the film world. They, they understand a lot more of the technical things. People from design world understand the design things better. Um, when I started, uh, there wasn't really an actual MoGraph industry. It was like, here's some programs and things, and there were no courses on it or anything. So I didn't know that I didn't have the design skills because I just, there was nobody to, to tell me how that all works. Um, so artistic discipline, foundational skills, um, how do you make sure that you know that you're you're doing the right thing and that you're um that you're following? I guess what would you call it the rules of art? Uh, because you know color theory. What's that? I didn't know anything about that. My design first principles. demo reel was it's your basic design principles. Of course, if there's anything course, I can push to anyone is learn your basic design principles and incorporate them in all your works. But how do you know that you're doing a good job with that? Beside, because, you know, sometimes it's like people tell you, oh, yeah, that's a good demo reel. And like you said, if you have a friend, they can tell you, oh, that sucks, man. <laughs> but how do you compare again? How do you how do you objectively look at your own work? I have a few thoughts on that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so I think when you're first starting out in your career you need to you need to try a lot of different things so in my background um i was doing in college uh pencil drawing um and oil paintings and uh learned some basic graphic design like and i graduated college in 1998 uh so it was like photoshop 2 at the time <clears throat> so in my career i've done everything from layout 300 page textbooks in quark as well as InDesign. Uh, I have built websites using Dreamweaver, uh, Flash, uh, things like that. Uh, I did Final Cut and video editing, um, and then finally started doing uh, After Effects, which then led me into 3D animation. It wasn't until 14 years into my career that I discovered 3D. Uh, and I almost quit doing graphic design about seven years into my career. I was bored with it, um, wanted to find something else to do. When I discovered 3D, 
I finally felt like for the first time as an artist, I had a voice in the 3D space. Um, and so all of that to say, I think you're going to need to try a lot of different things. Um, you might realize that you're not great at lighting, but you're really good at animation. Mm-hmm. Maybe you're not great at animation, but you can code things and you're really technical. Uh, and so the more you do and the more you try, uh, hopefully you're going to fall in love with certain things and you're going to hear it from other people. And so I was hearing it from other people when I started doing motion graphics. That was probably the first time in my career that people were buzzing about it and saying, man, you're really like good at motion graphics. Um, and so I think there will be some sort of a feedback um, in that scenario where there'll be some reinforcement of the work that you're doing. And eventually you can start to specialize um, once you've kind of like figured out your style, figured out what you're passionate about, things like that. One of my favorite sayings, and I had to look it up because I butcher it, but one of my favorite sayings is everybody's a genius, uh, but if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it will live its whole life believing that it's stupid. And so I'd like to apply that to the artist's at ABC. Um, we have guys and, you know, you hire them and you're not quite sure what they're good at, but their portfolio seems like they're pretty good at certain things. <clears throat> and then as they've been there six months, even a year, you start to realize, oh, okay, so this person's actually really good at animation. Let's just focus on the fact that he's really good at animation because every time we ask him to do look dev, we get frustrated. And so that's where this saying comes into play is it's like, let's not get frustrated with the fish because the fish can't climb the tree. Let's just all realize, okay, this person needs to be in the water and find the right spot for this person and focus on what that person is actually really good at. Absolutely. There's nothing wrong with being good at the technical only. You can make a, you can make a career out of learning how to problem solve. Uh, if you nece- if you can't necessarily make something look pretty, but you can do the Sims or something that go with it. Some people you know, just really love love nodes, right? That's right. <laughs> I feel picked on. <laughs> You're very good at nodes. <laughs> let's let's also talk a little bit about uh, work life balance and mental health. Because that's very important. And if you're a student and you're new to this, you're going to find out real quick uh, when you become a, a designer, you can get stressed and uh, you can deal with things like imposter syndrome a lot. And especially with things like the pandemic, I know that a lot of my friends all of a sudden were just a single person in front of a computer sitting in their house and their friends are pretty much, you know, gone from real life. Um, they're kind of isolated they might get frustrated, work, it might not be coming in. Um, and then if you do get that work, you get overwhelmed and you're like, I just I just need to take a break. So um, I'm sure every single one of you probably has something to say about that. So, yeah, I, oh, yeah. Actually, I wanted to keep talking about the last thing. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> do it. So, do it. We'll come um, back. Well, okay. So we were talking about how like Barton is saying like, you know, if you're a fish, don't climb a tree. I think that's very true. Um, and I think as a freelancer, like maybe you have to be more of a jack of all trades. Cause like, I personally don't feel like I'm like a genius at any one specific thing. Uh, but when you're freelancing, it helps a lot because to, to just know a little bit about everything, because you can have clients that want like widely different things. 
um, and you can just adapt to that more. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I guess that's just like the difference between like maybe I'm not as good in a studio environment because I don't want to just like do that one specific thing. Um, but yeah. On anyway, that note, on that note, you know, I have found that um, I've watched a lot of tutorials in my life. You know, a lot of EJ's tutorials. You know, because what I do is I'll watch I'll watch through it. You know, pretty quick. Anytime a new tutorial comes out, and I'll log that in my brain into my brain library. You know, so that I know if the situation ever arises to where I need to know that thing, I know exactly where to go. You know, I don't need to keep that in my mind and know how to in, inflate uh, cloth every single time. I don't need to know it because it's very easily accessible on EJ's YouTube tutorials, you know? Yeah, if, if anything ever happened to Chris uh, Rocket Lasso YouTube <laughs> account, I would be like, so, right. like, I don't know what I'm doing anymore. <laughs> <laughs> this is good to know. <laughs> 90% of my Google searches point me there, so, you know. Yeah. My own Google searches send me back to my own website. <laughs> the whole reason Dave and I started doing tutorials is so, so that we could remember how we did the thing that we did. And then you just feel bad about yourself because I, I knew this a year ago. Right. <laughs> oh, well. I'm just slowly uploading my brain to the Internet. That's <laughs> what I'm doing in the tutorials. So we can make an EJ AI clone. Don't bring, yeah, I'm training my own model. Like, there's, yeah, there's so many times where I had to look at my own tutorials like, how the hell did I do that? <laughs> I was going to go off of, uh, if we can move on, I was going to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> No, what you said as far as, you know, um, doing what you love, work-life balance. And uh, I love love this quote because I, I think, you know, you've, you've probably heard the quote, you know, do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. And anyone heard that quote before? Yeah, but then there's like the artist version where it's uh, do what you love and you work super fucking hard all the time with no separation or boundaries and also take everything extremely personally. And that's Adam <laughs> JK. And I feel that that is the perfect like summary, you know, summary of being an artist and working in the field that you love. Now, luckily, I mean, where I'm working and, and who I work with is mostly like my nerd family. It's like I've, I've been doing this for many years and it's talking off hours and there's a lot of other things. But when you get to like working with clients, but you love being in that creative process, you can find yourself working super hard without that separation. So I, I just wanted to share that quote. Um, no real advice on that. So no, I'm, I'm sure I do have advice, but that's just one of the things to be aware of is that separation and just overworking yourself is a very real thing for us as artists. It's, it's also, as, as a freelancer, you know, it's something you need to keep in mind when you're working with specific studios. You can kind of see it almost immediately. You can get that sense of whether they value your work-life balance or whether they don't oh yeah you know and it's very important to be able to weed out the ones who don't respect your time and are asking for changes upon changes upon changes until late hours of the night you know on a sunday on sunday right when and and the ones who are like oh no we don't want you to go into overtime you know we want to make sure that you're off by this time or if you're in a meeting and you're like Especially nowadays with so much remote work, um, I'm doing a lot of work with, you know, companies that are like two hour difference. And I'm like, hey, it's dinner time for me. And they're like, oh, OK, sorry, we can pick that up in the morning. You know, it's like they understand that respect of your own personal time. Sometimes you have to remind them. 
<laughs> a lot of times you have to remind them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, can you do this on Saturday? Um, yeah. and I got plans with my family. On you also need to respect your own time and your own work-life balance if you want like the clients or the agencies to do it. Because I, for a really long time, because I'm just freelance, like you make your own kind of schedule. And I was just like packing my schedule so full. And then I'm like, why do I feel anxious all the time? <laughs> you know? So like you really, like I really had to like take a step and just go like, okay, this, the norm for me needs to be having a normal work-life balance. And then if there is a period where I have like two really good opportunities and I need to kind of multitask and do a lot of overworking, then I make an agreement with myself to like, okay, these two weeks, I'm going to like probably be pretty exhausted and I'm going to work like over hours. But then after those two weeks, I need to go back to that norm of like taking care of myself or take yeah. a break. Yeah. 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 That's one thing. When I know that I've worked and worked and worked, I I remind myself that, hey, I'm an independent contractor. Yeah. I'm going to take a mental health day and do what I want. <laughs> there's, an out, there's an outside world. Right. <laughs> Following up on that, it's the most miserable I've ever been at any point in my career is uh, when I was suddenly working from home for, there's like a four month period. And I learned the lesson really, really hard that you want to distinguish between home life and work life. Yeah. Because if you're like, oh, I'm at home and I'm working, but you know, I can go do laundry. I can go hang out with somebody. I can, you know, spend a bunch of time playing with the dog while I'm at work. And then at night, while well, a project came in, I could go work on that. It means you're never really working, but you're also never really just at home. Yeah. And when that blurs, like you start losing sleep, like the days start blending together. It was the only time I was ever miserable about anything. So mm -hmm. separate out all of that the best that you can. My, whenever I am working from a home office, uh, you still wake up, you still take your shower. I go for a walk, even if it's just around the block, even if it's like negative five degrees, go for a walk around the block get back home but i'm now at work mm -hmm. and then when i'm all done like undo it now i'm traveling back now i've arrived at Backwards. home work is done <laughs> yeah so separate that out you'll be a lot more and happy. you know so i'm i'm lucky i've got my own home office so when i'm done for the day i shut that door and turn off all my lights you know i make sure that that's not a cool place to hang out at the end of the day you know even though i've got a lot of toys in there i don't make it the place that i hang out you know i make sure i shut that door not not everyone has that you know opportunity to have their own office in their house but like turn off the computer you know turn off the monitor step away from it so that you know you physically know by turning it back on you're like oh i'm putting myself back into that mode you know if i want to stay balanced don't turn yeah it. oh you can hear the rain yeah it's it's <laughs> it's hard to have that separation if you if you're not fortunate enough to have an office i know there are uh friends of mine who put their office in their bedroom and if that's your only option that's understandable but if you have another option, that's that's really good. And one of the things that I've recommended to people who are like, well, I don't have a separate office. I'm like, get some cool lighting. Get the colored lighting and all that stuff and make it all like fancy. Because makes your computer go faster. It does. It does. <laughs> it's like a racing stripe, you know. Um, but change the lighting. And and maybe not like between work and play even, but during the day, change the lighting. It makes you feel like... The scene has changed a little bit. There's like lots of little things you can do. But I, I feel like uh, if you are a student and you're just 
starting out in this. This is really good stuff to know about how about how to separate. I'm terrible at it. Still terrible at it. And I do things like put my Xbox in my cool room, you know, so when I'm done working and I go play Halo, I'm still up there. But um, if you're brand new, yeah, I I think it's really great to be aware of that and to be aware of mental health and uh, to be aware of how many hours you're working. Yeah, I was going to just chime in on that one. Um, For me, uh, to do this type of work, I've always, I think the reason why I'm able to focus on it and actually do it is because I'm absolutely obsessed with that. I love what I do so much that I have, even though I have an office that I go into every day, I still have a hard time separating when I go home because I'm obsessed with the work. I'm obsessed with the art. You know, it's just like constantly on the back of my mind and it takes me a little bit to unplug and be a dad and be a husband when I get home. And so... I've tried to take in different, like take up different hobbies that don't necessarily involve a computer because literally everything that I like, I just, I dream of computers like all the time. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so I, I, I like would get into things like that I could do with my kids, like buying uh, Lego sets and doing Lego projects with them. Something that it doesn't involve a screen. I've gotten into carpentry uh, projects around the house and um, was the other I playing the piano lately i got a, my piano from when i was a kid shipped down here and i've been getting back into doing some of that so like finding some sort of tactic tactile hobby that doesn't involve the screen um fitness any of that stuff really good to just sort of have that sort of sidecar that you can rely on that isn't a screen yeah fitness yeah. is a big one i especially Wimbush and barton <laughs> you've I seen barton's uh tiktok oh yeah they're nice yeah i mean i got some thirst traps up there too i mean yeah. you know, yeah. that's true <laughs> no but definitely say workout i didn't i wasn't going to bring it up but that definitely um working out definitely helps especially because of the stress of the industry like I know for me like i pre-pandemic i was doing a lot of boxing too and it just helped me not kind of flip out on clients especially when they have <laughs> revisions and stuff like that so it's like you're hitting the heavy bag at night or even when you're lifting weights you're just i don't know like what the technical term of it is but you're like releasing Orphan. all this stress yeah endorphins you're releasing all this stress and anxiety so i make it a point to um work out every single day in the morning first thing i wake up i go hit the weights even like i hear it's raining like doesn't matter. I'll go out in the rain and start lifting weights. Like, that's just my release so that I have that good work-life balance because without it, I was going crazy when I wasn't doing it. So it's gotten to the point to where I'm working out early in the mornings and then I might have a client call to go over revisions and I'm still wearing a tank top and I'm like, I dare you to say that this, <laughs> this isn't um, approved. So it, it even boosted my confidence when talking to clients too, because they're just like, hey, Wimbush before, they may give me a bunch of notes, but now I'm just like, we're good, right? And they're like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no, seriously though, but no, I definitely think, even if you're not lifting weights or anything, like I would just say even any type of activity, whether it's like jogging, yoga, swimming, like something that you find enjoyable, like at least try to, put some time in for yourself because um, I know it's a personal thing for me. I've had a lot of friends during this pandemic have strokes and heart attacks and we're in our thirties, right? Like we're not that old yeah, and thirties. Yeah. <laughs> say that it's not, I mean, it's, we're not that old and we're having health problems just from sitting behind the computer all day. So, I mean, even last week I had a friend in Atlanta have a heart attack. So it's just like, 
this stuff is important. So definitely take care of yourself because if you don't take care of yourself, then you're not going to be able to pursue your art career because then it might be too late and you're dealing with all the repercussions that come with not keeping up with your health and everything. So it's not a scare thing. I'm not trying to scare anybody, but I'm just saying it is important to keep in the back of your head. Like give yourself those breaks, like put an app on your phone, like every hour, two hours, like get up, stretch and just have an alarm on your phone to let you know, like, Hey, I've been sitting at my desk for two hours. Maybe I need to get up, just walk around, come back down and get back to it. I bought one of those timers you can put on your desk and set it for either you know 45 minutes if you're doing a big project or if you're doing small projects do 20 and hit that every time it goes off you're either going to hit it again do another 20 or you're going to get up get a drink or do something stretch your legs but i try i do not practice what i preach i work too many hours but what i do try and do is separate the day if there is a day part two which many of us do uh, i i like to go out and run it's free i can just go straight out the door I think about all the things that I need to get done while I'm running. (laughs) And I like it. I I organize my thoughts and I come back feeling refreshed. Yeah, and that's going to say, too, like, I'm not joking. I work out in the rain. I'm going to give my Instagram a shout out, Jonathan Wimbush. If you want to see me working out in the rain, keep hitting it hard, you know, just hit me up. Become a here. fitness Instagram. Yeah. There's some people fitness. who aren't, aren't aren't happy about that, but I don't <laughs> can, care. Can I show my stuff real quick? <laughs> so I'm trying to become the first motion graphics artist that has his own line of workout supplements. So we're going to have, like, Workout Way and Wimbush pro, um, creatine and stuff coming, so... Definitely, you got to look the part to be able to push that stuff. So, Mo Fit. Mo, Mo Graph Muscle coming soon. Muscle, I like that. So, so I wanted to, um, you know, contribute on this one because I'm, I'm always on the go. So, I don't necessarily, I'm not always in the same spot all the time. So, you know, being in the same spot and building those routines is great. Um, I would I would say this would be a time for my book as far as the five most important things you don't learn in school. And that's because we're not really taught balance of anything really in school and we're not really taught the areas of life that do carry a lot of stress and health becomes a number one thing right away as soon as your health goes like it could be something physical and now it's mentally taxing which is now you know affecting your work performance which is now affecting your ability to earn income so the cascades and understanding those connections that's all in the book but a more important thing is know what it takes for you to de-stress, right? So you know it's working out or you know that it's running. If you haven't figured out how you can actually de-stress for you, like someone else that might be playing video games, like, cool, I can just zone out and play video games. I can feel good. It's not TikTok. I promise you it's not TikTok. (laughs) If it's, you know, (laughs) you're going through anxiety-ridden TikTok, then yeah, sure, then then that's... (laughs) But you need, to, you need to know how it is that you can self-regulate. And the reason why is because when you're working with clients and employers, and depending on how, how it's configured, unfortunately, they do not care about your health. It, it's, it, it, it pains me to say it. They, they really don't care. And if you were gone the next week, they would be in, within a couple hours. Oh, whatever happened to them? Oh, that's really terrible. Um, let's go find another freelancer. It happened to my friend. I don't want to say what movie he is working on, but he suffered a stroke due to the stress, and um, yeah, he was replaced. Yeah. So, so the whole thing is, and this is another thing with relationships. Like, if any anything happened to anybody up uh, on on stage here, that that's it matters to me because I have personal relationships with everyone up here. But for the most part, most 
corporations and most clients that you're working with, if you don't have that, it doesn't really matter. So you're just seen as a way for them to, a means to an end for most people. And that's just unfortunate part of society. I know it sounds dark, but that's just, it's just the unfortunate part of it. So you have to be responsible for that. That's something that you have to understand. How can I de-stress and how can I put that in my day? For me, it's meditation. Uh, I do like working out and in different ways, but for me, it's meditation. I know how to be able to work with my mind and just give myself space so I can actually de-stress. Otherwise it can get overloaded. So just find out whatever it is for you and like hold that sacred to you for your health and well-being, please, because, you know, other, other folks aren't going to do it for you. So one of the, one of the benefits we're talking a lot about exercise, even like literally just going for a walk, we talk about just staying healthy, but I always get my best ideas when going for a walk or going for a jog. If you ever have creative block, like that's being creative. I, I, I don't know where I heard this from, but it, it totally unlocked my view of creativity as a whole. When they describe creativity is not something you turn on and turn off. It's a mood. You can't just turn on being happy, right? You can't, if you're sad, you can't just like, oh, I'm going to turn on my happy switch and be happy. So it's the same thing with creativity. And the key is what Matthias says is realize what are those things that you need to do to unlock your happiness, like find your happy place, do those things to unlock your creativity. Uh, Some of the best minds in history like Beethoven would, would think of his best work when he would walk in the park, uh, you know, outside his house, Einstein, same thing. He'd come up with all his ideas going for a walk. So in addition to yes, like going out and being physical activity, having physical activity is great for your health. It's always also great for your mind. And so, you know, as we work out our bodies physically, we also have to work out our, our minds as well and always stay sharp and yeah, walking and just being outside, disconnecting is the best thing for your mental health and your creativity. But yeah, the creativity is a mood. Internalize that and don't be so damn hard on yourself when you're having a bad day. Like everyone has their bad days. And I think that's the problem with like social media in general is you're never seeing everyone's bad. You're always seeing the best days of everyone's life. Everyone's at the beach. Everyone's doing the cool, everyone's at a cool tour. Everyone's doing their selfies and Instagrams. Everyone looks great on TikTok. Everyone looks great on TikTok. <laughs> they got their filters. But realize you're only seeing everyone's best days on Twitter, on Instagram. No one's sharing their worst stuff. And it's also great that we're talking about mental health because that's mentally healthy to talk about mental health and realize that we all struggle sometimes and that's okay. We don't have to be a hundred percent in, in control all the time. We all have our downtimes. And, you know, I remember a day when I was, when I started freelancing, like, you know, 10 years ago or so, I remember because I would be up late, you know, two, 3 AM and people would tweet like, who else is up hustling? And people would brag about being up late and I would do it too. And I look back and I'm like, that was the dumbest crap I've ever done (laughs) to like glorify the hustle. Like we need to stop glorifying the hustle because Life is more, there's more to things in life than like staying up till 4 a.m. working on some spot for Google or something like that. And there's this quote from Brad Bird uh, that works at Pixar uh, that I love. And he says that animation is trying to create the illusion of life and you can't create if you don't have one. So that's, that's, I'll leave it with that. But yeah. Man, that's pretty good. Yeah. 
Hi, my name is Sashia Dumont. I'm a writer, actor, and filmmaker. Hi, my name is Paul Robinson. I'm a director, DP, and filmmaker. We are the creators and hosts of the Go Gorilla Filmcast, an online source for all things indie film. We are a husband and wife film team and co-owners of Send 3 Productions, and we started this podcast for filmmakers like ourselves who were producing on micro-budgets with Skeleton Crews. Go Gorilla is a weekly podcast that features various talents in TV, film, and web series productions. We've interviewed filmmaker powerhouses like Kestrin Pantera, Richard Raymond, Alex Ferrari, Cassandra Ebner, and Ryan Connolly. Amazing actors like Hannah Ward, Lou Taylor Pucci, Chris Wataski, and Eileen Gruba. Groundbreaking cinematographers like Jody Lee Lipes and Jessica Lee Gagne, and many more. We also offer weekly reviews of our favorite films and shows, which vary from low-budget first-time filmmakers to A-listers and everyone in between. Go Gorilla is proud to announce that we have officially joined the MoGraph Podcast Network. So if you love filmmaking as much as we do, tune in every Sunday for a new episode of the Go Gorilla Filmcast. Your, your source, source for, for all things indie film. film. Now available on the MoGraph Podcast Network. Are, are we gonna Are we gonna go to the big topic? We're gonna go to the big topic because we don't right. have a lot of time left. We're, we're because of the the fire alarm earlier. We're, we're a little bit behind. <laughs> But yeah, that render was fire. That render was fire. So we're going to go to the AI topic uh, before we get to the, the fun celebration portion of the show. We're going to talk about AI. And we saved it for last because we didn't know how long that was going to go. And we want to, you People know, are very an passionate excuse about to AI the conversation. Yeah, yeah. We, we did. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, there's there is a mixed reaction uh, when you ask people about NFTs and when you ask people about AI, you could maybe go 50-50 and people are going to be like, oh, I love, or they're going to be like, oh, I hate. And so we want to get everybody's opinion on AI and where they think it's going here. Can I, can I ask, Barton, as a studio owner, can I ask, can you start off this question? Because um, I've noticed with a lot of studios that I've worked with and even us we've started creating like mood boards just with mid journey and i'm curious if you as a studio owner are incorporating that into your workflow as well yeah for sure i mean you have to um you can't you can't uh resist change you got to embrace it you know um so we're definitely using it uh as a way to create mood boards pitch boards things like that uh to help communicate um, and it's super effective, you know, because uh, previously in developing a creative brief, you might be like finding all like six, eight different examples. There might be some photography that's inspiring. There might be a video that you see that's inspiring. There might be another animation piece that you see that's inspiring. And you're trying to communicate all of those things to the client. You're kind of like. Well, I like the lighting from this one. I like the way the, you know, the animation bounces around in this one. Uh, I like the textures in this one. And we're going to do something kind of like that, you know. So now, rather than having to do all of that, you can go into mid-journey, start typing some things in, get some results. And you can actually kind of, you know, visualize things a little bit quicker and a little bit faster. Um, and so that's just kind of one simple way that we're using it. Obviously, there's like AI upresers. Um, and so we've explored frame rates and uh, upresing things so that render times go faster, things like that. Uh, one person in particular um, that I'll give a plug here, if you don't follow uh, Tim Tatter on Instagram, uh, he's also on Behance. 
quite a bit. Um, he and Mike Campal. Uh, have have been kind of a duo tag team that have basically run Behance uh, as far as eyes and views and the, uh, popularity on Behance for the last twenty years. They're they're uh, legends, but uh, Tim Tatter in particular really got involved in AI artwork uh, and the things that he is doing on his Instagram feed right now are absolutely incredible. Um, it, w- it wouldn't surprise me if major brands hit him up to just be doing their creative direction because I don't have a clue how he's prompting things to look that amazing. Um, What's the name? How he do you knows know? no 3D whatsoever, but his uh, the things that he is prompting out of Mid Journey are stunning. Um, like, yeah, it, it's his ideas. And so when you see what Tim Tatter is doing with AI art, it's like, He's the artist, and this is sick because I could prompt all day long, and I'm not going to get what he's what he's coming up with. I can look up his handle real quick and let you guys know what it is. Yeah. Do you guys do you guys at your studio use it at all for inspiration? You know, as far as some of the work that you're creating, because yeah, it's, it's just T I M T A D D E R, all one on Instagram. Yeah. Do you guys because uh, of the probably the past two uh jobs that i've been on we have used ai art to basically we will come up with a really good prompt you know uh based off of what we're trying to look for and then we will use that exact prompt and recreate it in 3d sure yeah yeah i mean it's never going to be like an exact creation right so um we recently did uh just one that's I can think of that we used uh, for inspiration quite a bit. We did a fantasy vibe for the drink Celsius. Um, And so we went in and prompted a million things, soda cans sitting on a beach, golden hour, make it look like Venice beach, California. And so, you know, we were able to get like 12 to 20 different renders out of mid journey. And, and then from there it was kind of like, Oh, I never considered that kind of lighting. I never considered this kind of lighting. I had something else in my mind, but now that I see these like 18 different lighting styles, what if we did something a little bit more like that? And, you know, our final looked nothing like it, but it's like you have all of these sources of inspiration and then you make yours unique. I think one of the the reasons that people don't like AI, uh, (laughs) if you don't know why, it's because of the training models. You know, that's yes. going to be a hurdle that we have to get through because AI is using people's art to train. <clears throat> and um, I'm not a good enough artist to uh, have an AI train on my art, but we have a lot of friends that Midjourney and all of that has trained off of. Mm-hmm. And so it's a very weird, mixed feeling kind of situation. I think the, the stuff that Adobe is doing at, and... I don't I don't often praise Adobe. <laughs> but I think I think the way they're going about it is the correct way because they're all they're already using the I'm assuming they're using the Adobe stock that is already there in order to train the AI and that's that makes it a bit more safer is the word ethical, yeah. Legal, right. (laughs) You know, because there's been a few, I don't know whether it's stable diffusion or mid journey or something where you've actually seen the Shutterstock um, watermark on the render, 
you know, and I think what Adobe is doing is the smart way because they're not going to deal with the legal concerns that other people have with it, you know, when using their AI art. Well, I think there's, there's a couple, there's a couple things I'd, I'd love to chime in on this one. Um, there's, I think one of the things that you said, Barton, was great as far as, well, you're just going to have to change with the times. It's like, this is this is what it is. It's like people who didn't want to use the internet when the internet came around. It's like, I have a telephone book for that. It's like, okay, um, you know, it, it is where we're at. And I feel that, you know, with the training models, it's always really interesting. And if you removed, and I think the biggest thing is if you remove the financial side of it and you just looked at it as a, a, a tool, how many people would have issues with it? And I feel that that's kind of where a lot of it is it's if this is a threat just because of my employment or is this a tool to you know create with because i feel that all artists study artists will possibly even trace other artists maybe a thousand times to develop a style like that artist and then break off and make it their own after they've been able to copy even you know um, musicians it's like okay how many times are you going to play you know, someone else's track so many times. And then I want something like that, but then make it my own. I feel that the, the big issue that we run into is the, the financial because it can hurt, it can hurt us as artists financially. Um, that's one of the, the big things. And, but even legally, I think this is one of the biggest updates in, in legal is just AI generated art by itself is not copyrightable. That was just a recent thing. You'd have to actually add on to it. And what is added on can be copyrighted, but not what is just been generated by itself. So there's already some, some quick uh, things that are happening legally that are creating some protections for artists that it's not just like, oh, I'll just do it in the style of so-and-so and now I'm just going to copyright a bunch of stuff and kind of eliminate that artist. If you haven't put your hand to it and actually added to it, it, it holds no value in, um, in the eyes of the law as far as copyright. So that's an interesting Audio industry is really, really feeling it right now. Have you heard that awesome remix, though, of Michael Jackson singing, like, the weekend song or whatever? It's pretty good. The problem is, <laughs> where does that fall legally? Because there's lawsuits starting to fly. Uh, I, I, that's one the one thing I haven't as as much of because I, I saw the Drake and Weekend the, you know they put together a song and they pulled nice. that and I think that was actually pulled for copyright so I think the voice stuff is still in a really gray area because it was original yeah. song it's originally written so like copywriting voices and all that other stuff it's gonna it's that that I haven't heard co- uh, case precedent but on the AI generated there's no way you can monetize that right I mean there's no way to know that's the hard part how do you like okay cool I created this awesome AI music you put how are you gonna monetize that if you do 80% of the track and then you put the weekend on it and and that's fire. Yeah, but you gotta you gotta yeah, but they're monetizing it because they put it up on YouTube. You know, Grimes is asking for fifty percent. She said, "If you use my likeness to create an AI song, that's right. awesome. Put it out there, and I'll take fifty percent of the royalties of all the plays that it gets." Interesting. So, I mean, that could be a way of doing it, but I think likeness is a big deal. Like, it's not necessarily yeah. just your voice. It's not necessarily <clears throat> necessarily your art. It's the likeness of your human person being turned into something else mm-hmm. i think everybody should have a say as to what happens to their own likeness actually a bunch of celebrities that were starting to um 
I'm not sure the legal term with it, but um, like Bruce Willis did it, I know Keanu Reeves did it with the last Matrix movie because they're doing like photogrammetry scans of them and you know, they're, they have so much dialogue out there that they hold the rights to their likeness, whether like they're still alive or not, like their state still holds precedent over that. And so I think Keanu might have been the first one to do it because he did so much of that stuff for the Matrix movie. And he's like, if you use my likeness for anything else, even after I die, like if you make another Matrix movie and you have my CG model and I'm still starring in it, then my estate still gets paid like what I would and my family, you know, kind of benefits off that. And then you got some studio come along and Disney's going to go. I love Disney. No, <laughs> Disney's going to come along and buy the uh, Keanu Reeves estate so that they can use it however they I mean, want. Robin Williams did that before he passed, right, with the Aladdin. He said they couldn't use his voice for anything else after past the Aladdin movie. Mm-hmm. So he kind of had foresight into all this stuff, but he actually had that in his contract that after, like, even after he passed, they still can't use his voice and recreate his likeness for anything. I mean, you know, uh, I, I think Hollywood is a good example of stuff similar to this, uh, like the um, Back to the Future Part 2. You know, they had asked Crispin Glover to come back to Back to the Future Part 2, and he didn't want to do it. So they got someone who looked exactly like him, you know, to come in and act as if he was, you know, George McFly as really old. And he ended up suing and winning. And that became a thing in Hollywood where you can't use someone's likeness previously or something you know and it's uh it's actually the same with like uh the audio voiceover industry or something where uh if you if you're doing a cartoon and you're like oh we want we want you know we want this to sound like james earl jones right and you ask james earl jones if he wants to voice this character and he says no but then you go and get someone who sounds like james earl jones to do it they can be sued for that you know but if you don't ask James Earl Jones beforehand and you just do it, you know, it's considered parody or something. Uh, just wanted to um, just back right off of what you were just saying, because the one thing that I can say, like if the artist is able to use AI to their advantage, like then I'm for that. Like what you just brought up reminded me of um, Jennifer, or Jennifer Aniston just did like a makeup commercial in um they needed to translate it over several different languages for like, you know, the Chinese territory and Sweden and stuff like that. And she doesn't speak Mandarin. She doesn't speak uh, Swedish. So they were able to train her voice to speak in those native languages. And they used AI to replicate her voice speaking Mandarin. And they even took it a step further to have her mouth movements. Yeah. Look as if they were pronouncing those words and everything. But she was in full control over that. It's not like they just did it. Like she was able to say, I give you permission to use my likeness to um, make this commercial in several different territories. So I think ethnically wise, like I think you just have to be upfront about it. Like they can't just do what they want with it just because the the product's there. Uh, what I'm kind of excited about AI is um, just where it will take us aesthetically. Well, it's, you know, um, just this, your standard candy looking image becomes so mainstream because it's so easy to populate that it's very interesting to see what's going to trend in a year or two. It's like, imagine when um, photography became a thing, you're just absolutely realistic painting became 
less um, popular, but then um, art went into those wild directions. So um, I think what's cool about AI, it will be like leaps in years of like aesthetic development. So that, that will be interesting. I think also if, you know, I've said this before, <clears throat> AI art is trained on things, you know? And so if artists aren't producing more art, like if they stopped, if every artist stopped and like boycotted AI art and stopped doing art completely, we would not get any better than where we are today with AI art, right? So, and this... This sounds shitty. Sorry. If we don't participate and allow the machines to take our art and learn from it, we're going to end up with like Pond 5 versions of AI art, you know? But also... But also... I, I don't like AI. I'm sorry. No, it's fine. Any of you that don't like it, I'm a safe person to talk to <laughs> about this because it's like it's not my responsibility, I feel like, to make sure that other people's AI art looks good because I gave it good stuff to scrape. You know what I mean? And like that's like super, super snooty of me to think that like my art's going to change the future of AI. Like, no, it won't. But like even when like these like dat posters came out, like we were supposed to submit headshots. Right. And then we got an email that was like, oh, the headshot submission part of the form is broken. And I was like, oh, no biggie. They have my headshot from like other stuff. And then I noticed nobody asked me for my headshot. And I was like, it's because they have it from other stuff. And then the posters came out and I was like, who is that? And it was like an AI of my face. And I was like, that's weird. I didn't give anybody permission to do that with my face. And I'm Day looking sorry. and I'm looking and like, that's the thing is like, I didn't expect to care. I thought I was really chill about this. I thought I didn't care until I saw it. And it was me. And I was like, I think I care a little bit. And I was looking at it and I was like, I think I know exactly what image they fed in there to get this. I think I... I could have just given that to you. And I'm looking at it. And I'm like, my nose doesn't go up at the end like that. <laughs> like, and so it just like, it generated, I think a very much like I was on the fence about it for a long time until I was hit with that. And I was like, my body just told me, <laughs> my body told me how I feel about this. The question, what about my Because I think that kind of brings it into it now. If, if AI art <laughs> is now almost parody, if it's not, necessarily using images for commercial but it's just using things for creative expression do you do you feel just as strongly about it you have something you want <laughs> or any anybody up here like especially because because <laughs> the commercial one i understand a hundred percent it's like scraping art okay you're going to do it in a style of and now i'm going to build my business off of you know someone else's style and you know try and sell that i can see that that being totally detrimental to, you know, sections and groups of artists. But if you're doing it for parody or, you know, young kids that are just doing it to create stuff as they grow, like you would like tracing and things like that, as you learn, do you feel the same way or is it only in the commercial space? Uh, it's all commercial space because it could be monetized. You throw it up on as parody on your social media feed. Next thing you know, you're the, you're the hottest meme in town Yeah, <laughs> and somebody's, monetized it it's like there's content there's no difference between commercial and yeah. personal once you put it on social so then everything's a write-off <laughs> <laughs> tell that to the irs all right back to the, back to the taxes the taxes i think what was like sorry what got me so fired up besides the headshot was <laughs> that like 
you would, I can totally, like, I see the value in it. Like, I'm not blind to the value that it brings. But, like, what really, like, scared me was I was having a conversation with the creative director at Disney. And we're chatting. And she is a phenomenal concept artist. And she makes beautiful work. And she was in a meeting to present her concept art that she worked on for this assignment. And in that meeting, they said, well, why don't we just mid-journey it instead, actually? And they pulled up instantly generated all the you know this whole tile of all this very beautiful work and they're like you know what like in her face they're like i think this is the way to go like i think this is faster it's more efficient and i think that's dangerous when you get to a place like disney where like and i I don't speak on behalf of them at all i want to make that so clear does not speak on behalf of the brand is that what it is all opinions are are all opinions are literally just my own silly ones but I think when you get to a place like Disney that is built on such tradition and storytelling and really valuing that creative process, and even in that space where we should be, I feel, immune from all of this kind of stuff, if even in that space people are saying, you know what, like, I appreciate that you put, like, pencil to paper like all of the founding animation fathers before us, but I think in this case we'll skip that. Like, we'll skip the creative process for now, just on this one. I think that's when you really start to, like, tear at the threads. That's so dramatic of me. But, like, really tear at the threads of, like, what that creative process can be when you start to value the end result over the process. And I think that's the distinction that needs to be kept, I think, in the forefront of the discussion. How many 2D animations are they doing nowadays? Like, it's all 3D now, it seems like, you know. I don't even know. I would say it even hits the end result now. Like, I literally posted a picture the other day up on Hollywood there was a um, famous clothing line and they used Midjourney for the ad campaign. Like the posters were on the wall and the reason you could tell was because the hands were all jacked up. Like they, the hands were literally all messed up and people are like meshed into each other and like Weird it that out. they didn't change that before it went out. I, I mean, literally like I'll share the picture around but <laughs> you can see it. Like it totally looked like a mid-journey render and people are calling it out on social media. They're like, what's wrong with dude's hands? And Don't you know the cool new thing of- is to make it look like a jacked up mid-journey render? Yeah. That's the cool stuff now. Yeah, but I'm saying it's actually hitting on the streets now it's not just like eliminating the creative process like people like they're skipping the artist completely and they're like oh i know how to use mid-journey that looks good print it up put it up on the street you know it's like it's starting to get a little bit weird out there and even um was it levi that he actually put that article out saying like we don't have enough diversity in our models so we're going to start using ai to generate ai models so we have more diversity in our models which was kind of weird because I'm like, there's there's plenty of different type of people with different backgrounds that you could use as models, but they jump right into the AI like, oh, we don't have enough of this type of people that can model, so we're going to just you know do it with AI. So I, I think I, th- I th- think one of the biggest things is it's it, like I said, I don't think it's the technology itself. I think it's the dollars behind the motivation for everything. Because I don't know what business would say, let's do this the traditional way if there's a way to do it 10 times faster, 10 times cheaper, and our clients will buy it. Like we, we're constantly seeing that from, it doesn't matter if it's food production, we take a look at the automobile production, it's like efficiency at scale. I, I think that's, that's just something that used to be what we would consider a sacred space and it's just kind of personal to us, I think, is the difference with, you know, artists. But I feel every, you know, all the other industries, like if you were in photography, like how did digital photography change it? Where now I'm taking, you know, 4K, you know, photos on my phone and I can do all these different post effects that I would have to have someone in a dark room that knows how to do all these different things to do any of this. 
yeah, they're just gone. Like they like most people don't even know that that was even a process in the last generation or two. So I think that's just one of the things that is just a growing pain of innovation. We just, you know, I think I think it was Don Allen or I, I forget another one of the artists who mentioned it. But this is the interesting thing: is we all thought that AI and like robots were coming for people that had the least technical skilled jobs. It was like, okay, maybe, you know, there's the Roomba that's going to replace, you know, cleaning services. And there's going to be, you know, it's going to be the, the, you know, maybe an electrician or plumber and a lot of blue collar work. And now AI came out and it's like, we're going after the artist and the most creative amongst you first. And it's like, oh, you want to write a business plan? We're going after the people with MBAs first. We can, we can get into Wharton School of Business. We can go into Harvard. Like, it's all the stuff that people actually really enjoy doing. And it's like none of the grunt work. We still all have to do dishes. It's like, <laughs> and la- we have to fold our own laundry. Like, what? what? It solved nothing. So I think that's kind of the, the big issue that, that we're at. It's just the commercial side. I mean, you just have to work your way through it and figure out how you can make all parties happy. Because I know um, in Hollywood, there's a Screenwriters Act, um, our strike right now going on. Because um, whenever you're pitching a TV show, usually the first thing in the process is creating an outline and the scope. And that's actually a paid job for a writer. And um, a lot of showrunners were actually going straight to the chat. I can't wait a GPT or yeah, chat GPT getting the outline written like they just give the show idea the whole entire outline is written then they would give it to the writers say like hey can you polish this up and they're like what's this and they're like part of what i get paid for is you know making your vision come to life through the outline and then polishing it up and writing a script from it but now you're taking 50 percent of that in which they're not being compensated for and so they're getting paid half the money to do the same job so that's why they went on strike and um they're like, we're cool if you want to use AI to write the outline, but then we have to get compensated in other ways. So is this about trying to figure out, like, where is it fair for everybody? So, you know, everybody's not out on the street or they're just, you know, they're losing half their income. And it's just going to get better, too. You know, I saw a couple posters at NAB that I could tell were mid-journey because there's a guy sitting on the toilet and I started looking at it. And I'm like, his legs are in the toilet, <laughs> you know, also like. The training that I did for y'all to make us look like anime superheroes or whatever, like, you should see the derpy rejects. It's really <laughs> funny. It's really funny. Like, like seriously, Alex, the first version it made of you was the derpiest thing I've ever seen. That's my feeling. <laughs> it was, it had your eyes going all different directions and stuff. I'm like, no, that's not good enough. And in the end, I was like, I probably could have painted these and... I on my iPad faster than I actually came up with them, but yeah, the portrait of me on the poster removed my mustache, which is like my only defining feature. So <laughs> that's pretty. I have some pretty awesome hair that I wish I had in real life, so I love it. <laughs> so there's there's it makes my face look re- a lot fatter than it, it really is. <laughs> I I did uh, two hundred versions of each person here before I got the right one, and I can send them all to you if you want to. <laughs> Uh, we are so over time right now, yeah. and there's so much more conversation to be had. Um, we are going to continue to the celebrate portion where there's going to be some yes. prizes and other things. Um, we are going to do that. I'm, they're, like The conversation has just started because I'm sure yes. there's 8 million questions here. Um, I would also like to mention. Dave, real quick. Can uh-huh. I say I do love AI motion capture because I'm tired of looking like a Power Ranger every time I want to do motion <laughs> capture. <laughs> so I don't have to put on a mocap suit anymore. It's just like a couple of microphones. I'm good. <laughs> 
Um, we are so we're doing this in lobby. We also had the uh, after after party, the unsanctioned event, the <laughs> Celestial Beer Works at around eight o'clock tonight in mm-hmm. in downtown. So uh, if you'd like to join us there, we'll also be hanging out there. Um, so we're going to wrap it and we're going to continue our conversation outside. And uh, Matthias, I think, is going to uh, take us out here in a second. But until next time, I'm Dave. And I'm Matt. And this was debt. Later, yo. <laughs> all right. All right, everyone. Well, first of all, thank you so much for investing in yourselves and to coming out here to, you know, network, to learn, to collaborate, to create, to celebrate with us. And, uh, you know, once again, thanks again to our sponsors, Dell, NVIDIA, Render, Tool Farm, and, of course, Maxon if, right here. Um, we're going to see you. We're just right in the hallway, right? We're just, we're just heading right out there. We already have drinks, and uh, we're, we're ready, ready to party. So bring All your questions. Prizes. Bring your questions if you want to look at some AI art and some AI, the 200, you know, rejects of us. <laughs> you know, talk to Dave. Or I, I have some of myself as well. So, um, yeah, let's have some fun, and uh, we'll see you out in the hall. Thanks again. MoGraph.com, an online resource for motion graphic artists. Start your week with the MoGraph podcast. Industry news, interviews with your favorite artists, and terrible humor. Watch live shows and interviews from MoGraph events like NAB, SIGGRAPH, HalfRes, and local meetups. Our MoGraph talks feature live demos and motivation from artists all around the world. Sometimes you got to make stuff that you're not going to put on your reel, and I'm not here to judge. What if Rick and Morty show up for the countdown at midnight? That's where I peaked in life, in my career. We gotta stop this thing, Rick! It's gonna kill us all! Hear from the people that create your software, design your render engines, and artists that are changing the face of modern motion graphics. You get that render done. Yeah, you better frame frame what? MoGraph tutorials and online classes will teach you about Cinema 4D, After Effects, as well as other popular software and render engines. Throw in the HDR Studio, take the render settings, pick the HDR, put a reflection, and gorgeous. Branch into new software. Learn time-saving tips, techniques, workflows, and lessons that'll keep you up to date in the world of motion design. Oh, brother, those are some of my favorite elves. I love projects that scare me. When our art director comes to us and asks for something that I had never done before, man, it gets me pumped. Join the conversation in our live sessions. Check out our plugins or join the hundreds of daily active users in our Slack channel for technical help, advice, contests, or just to joke around. Real nice banana. Ah, that's so funny. All right. I'm going to live forever. <laughs> Subscribe today and get the latest updates on our YouTube and other social media channels. Take all your dreams and just do it. We don't care how you get here, folks. Just get here.
subscribe to MoGraph.com.